Dear Lucy Silchester, You have an appointment for Monday the 30th of May 2011. I couldn't read the rest. I didn't need to. I knew who it was from. I could tell as soon as I arrived home from work to my studio apartment and saw it lying on the floor, halfway from the front door to the kitchen, on the burned part of the carpet where the Christmas tree had fallen and landed two years ago and the lights had singed the carpet hairs. The carpet was a cheap old thing chosen by my penny-pinching landlord, a grey-worn industrial yarn that looked as though more feet had trodden over it than the apparently lucky testicles of the bull mosaic in Galleria Vittorio, Emmanuel II in Milan. You'd find a similar kind of fabric in my office building, a more appropriate location, as it was never intended to be walked on barefoot made only for the steady stream of on-foot shiny leather shoe traffic, moving from cubicle to photocopier, photocopier to coffee machine, coffee machine to emergency exit stairwell for a sneaky smoke. Ironically, the only location which failed to alert the fire alarm. I had been part of the effort to find the smoking spot, and each time the enemy had located us, we began efforts to find a new safe house. The current place was easy to find. Hundreds of butts and piles on the ground to mark the spot. Their lives sucked out of them by their users in panicked, distressed frenzy. Their souls floating around the insides of lungs where their outsides were dropped, stamped on and deserted. It was a place more worshipped than any other in the building. More than the coffee machine. More than the exit doors at 6pm. Most certainly, more than the chair before the desk of Edna Larson, the boss lady, who ate good intentions like a broken dispenser that swallowed your coins, but failed to spit out the bar of chocolate. The letter lay there on the dirty, singed floor. A cream-woven envelope with Grand George Street font declaring my name in certain no-doubt-about-it black ink, and beside it, a gold-embossed stamp. Three swirls joined together. The triple spirals of life. I knew what it was because I'd received two similar letters already and I'd googled the symbol. I failed to make an appointment for either of the requests to meet. I'd also failed to phone the number supplied to rearrange or cancel. I'd ignored it, swept it under the rug, or would have if the Christmas tree lights hadn't set fire to the shag pile that used to be there and forgotten about it. But I hadn't really forgotten about it. You never forget about things you've done that you know you shouldn't have done. They hang around your mind, linger like a thief casing a joint for a future job. You see them there, dramatically lurking nearby in striped monochrome, leaping behind post boxes as soon as your head whips around to confront them. Or it's a familiar face in a crowd that you glimpse, but then lose sight of. An annoying, where's Wally? Forever locked away and hidden in every thought in your conscience. The bad thing that you did. Always there to let you know. A month on from ignoring the second letter, and this one had arrived with another rescheduled appointment, and no mention of my previous failures to respond. It was like my mother... Its polite failure to acknowledge my shortcomings was making me feel even worse. I held the fancy paper at the corner between my thumb and forefinger 
and tilted my head to read it as it flopped to the side. The cat had pissed on it again. Ironic, really. I didn't blame him. My illegally owning a pet in a high-rise apartment block in the middle of the city and holding down a full-time job meant that the cat had no opportunity to go outside to relieve himself. In an attempt to rid myself of my guilt, I had put framed photographs of the outside world around the apartment. The grass, the sea, a postbox, pebbles, traffic, a park, a collection of other cats, and Jean Kelly. The latter obviously to service my needs, but I hoped the others would dispel any longing he had to go outside, or to breathe fresh air, to make friends, to fall in love, or to sing and dance. As I was out five days a week from 8am, often to 8pm, and sometimes didn't come home at all, I had trained him to eliminate as the cat trainer had phrased it on paper, so he would get used to using his litter box. And this letter, the only piece of paper left lying on the floor, was surely just a confusion to him. I watched him move self-consciously around the edge of the room. He knew it was wrong. It was lurking in his mind, the thing he'd done that he knew he shouldn't have done. I hate cats, but I liked this cat. I named him Mr. Pan after Peter, the well-known flying young boy. Mr. Pan is neither a boy who will never age, nor, oddly, does he possess the ability to fly. But there is a strange resemblance, and it seemed appropriate at the time. I found him in a skip down an alleyway one night, purring as though in deep distress. Or perhaps that was me. What I was doing down there shall remain private, but it was raining hard. I was wearing a beige trench coat, and after mourning the loss of a perfect boyfriend over too many tequilas, I was doing my best to channel Audrey Hepburn by chasing the animal and calling out, Cat! in a clear and unique yet distressed tone. Turned out, it was a day-old kitten, and it had been born a hermaphrodite. Its mother or father, or both, had shunned it. Though the vet informed me that the kitten had more male than female anatomy, naming him felt as though I alone took the responsibility of choosing his sex. I thought of my broken heart and my being passed up for a promotion because my boss had an inkling I was pregnant. Though it was after the holidays and my annual gorge fest had been a wild boar short of a Tudor banquet, I'd been through a particularly horrific month of stomach cramps. A street bum had groped me late one night on the train, and when I enforced my opinion at work, I'd been called a bitch by my male counterparts, and so I decided life would be easier for the cat as a male. But I think I made the wrong decision. Occasionally, I call him Samantha or Mary or something feminine, and he looks up with what I can only describe as thanks before sloping off to sit in one of my shoes and gaze wistfully at the stiletto and the world he's been deprived of. But I digress. Back to the letter. I would have to attend the appointment this time. There was no way around it. I couldn't ignore it. I didn't want to irritate its sender any further. So who was the sender? I held the drying page by the corner, 
and again tilted my head to read the flopped paper. Dear Lucy Silchester, you have an appointment for Monday 30th of May 2011. Yours sincerely, Life. Life? Why, of course. My life needed me. It was going through a tough time and I hadn't been paying enough attention to it. I'd taken my eye off the ball. I'd busied myself with other things. Friends' lives, work issues, my deteriorating and ever-needy car, that kind of thing. I'd completely and utterly ignored my life. And now it had written to me, summoned me, and there was only one thing for it. I had to go and meet with it face to face. I'd heard about this kind of thing happening, which is why I wasn't making a great dramatic deal about it. I generally don't become overexcited about things anyway. I'm just not one of those people. I'm not easily surprised by things either. I think it's because I expect that anything can happen. That makes me sound like a believer, and I'm not necessarily that either. I'll phrase it better. I just accept things that happen. All things. So, my life writing to me, though unusual, wasn't surprising. It was more of an inconvenience. I knew that it would demand much of my attention for the foreseeable future, and if that was an easy thing for me, then I wouldn't have received the letters in the first place. I beat the ice from the fridge freezer with a knife and retrieved a cottage pie with my blue hand. While I waited for the microwave to ping, I ate a slice of toast, then a yogurt. It still wasn't ready, so I licked the lid. I decided that the arrival of the letter gave me permission to open a bottle of 3.99 Pinot Grigio. I stabbed the remainder of the ice from the fridge freezer while Mr. Pan ran to hide in a pink heart-decorated Wellington boot, still covered in dry muck from a summer festival three years ago. I removed a wine bottle I'd forgotten to take from the freezer, which was now a frozen solid block of alcohol, and I replaced it with a new bottle. I wouldn't forget this one. I mustn't. It was the last bottle left in the wine cellar stroke corner cupboard under the cookie jar. Which reminded me of cookies. I also ate a double chocolate chip cookie while I waited. Then the microwave pinged. I emptied the pie onto the plate. A big, unappetizing, messy pile of mush. Still cold in the middle but I hadn't had the patience to put it back in and wait 30 seconds more. I stood at the counter to eat and poked at the warm parts around the edges. I used to cook. I used to cook almost every night. The nights I didn't, my then-boyfriend cooked. We enjoyed it. We owned a large apartment in a converted bread factory with floor-to-ceiling steel grid windows and original exposed brickwork on most walls. We had an open plan, kitchen come dining room, and almost every weekend we had friends around for dinner. Blake loved cooking. He loved entertaining. He loved the idea of all our friends, even family, joining us. He loved the sound of 10 to 15 people laughing, talking, eating, debating. He loved the smells, the steam and the oohs and ahs of delight. 
He'd stand at the kitchen island and tell a word-perfect story while dicing an onion, splashing the red wine into a beef bourguignon or flambéing a baked Alaska. He never measured anything. He always got the balance just right. He got the balance of everything just right. He was a food and travel writer. He loved going everywhere and tasting everything. He was adventurous. At weekends, we never sat still. We climbed this mountain and that mountain. During summers, we'd go to countries I'd never heard of. We jumped out of an airplane twice. We both bungee jumped three times. He was perfect. And he died. Just joking, he's perfectly fine. Alive and well. Cruel joke, I know. But I laughed. No, he's not dead. He's still alive. Still perfect. But I left him.